Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's an interview with a presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen. She is the libertarian candidate for president this year. She is a professor of psychology at Clemson University. She has been an entrepreneur. She, her specialty is industrial and organizational psychology. And she is the only candidate other than Biden and Trump who is going to be on the ballot in every state. She's also the best looking candidate that's going to be on the ballot in every state. I guess that's debatable, but I could say she looks more like me than anyone else running for president this year. I'm about to share with you a conversation I just had with her. But let me back up a little bit because I feel like I need to explain that, first of all, I don't actually think I'm a libertarian. And second of all, I I feel like I need to explain why I'm having this conversation with this person on a dog training podcast. I mean, I'm sure she is a much better dog trainer with her dog than Biden is, and of course Trump doesn't have a dog, so that makes her the best dog trainer in the race. (laughs) But that's sort of oversimplifying why I was interested in talking to her. I really have never considered myself a political person. My father was a political cartoonist, and growing up, politics to me like politics and cartoons went hand in hand they the politicians were the the people in my dad's funny drawings in the 1980s my dad did busts these sort of like caricature busts of Ronald Reagan with this beautiful brown and gold pompadour hair made out of clay and these busts I guess they were like mass-produced and they were all all over our apartment and uh and he was just such a nice looking man in this in this little caricature bust like like the sort of avuncular little (laughs) like Keebler elf man in a suit who I was told was a very powerful man our president and I loved him I actually have a theory that this is kind of part of why people voted for Trump. He was like physically in people's living rooms for years and years and years as this powerful figure on his TV show. And just thanks to the associations people have of of seeing this familiar person 
like in their home year after year made them trust him. My dad also did uh, an illustration, I forget w where it was for, maybe I can find it, but of, of Ronald Reagan dressed as Mickey Mouse, looking very cheery and happy. So I think I, I honestly think I also conflated Mickey Mouse and Ro Ronald Reagan in some way as a very little kid. And I kind of vaguely remember people around me saying not nice things about President Reagan, and I would I would feel like defensive. <laughs> it had nothing to do with his his politics. It had everything to do with his hair. And it sounds crazy and ridiculous, but sadly, I think a lot of adults vote because of the hair. And as I got older, politics just, it never really called out to me. I think I felt for a long time, well, still, I, I feel sort of <sighs> kind of like, like we're conditioned to believe our vote matters more than it does. Like, yes, everybody should go out and vote, but like in the end there's actually only one person's vote who matters and it probably won't be yours right like if a hundred people vote for one guy and a hundred and five people vote for the other guy it's only the hundred and first person's vote that was the vote that mattered the other four were just a bonus and I acknowledge that this maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. It's based in a feeling about math, perhaps more than it's really based in math. The math of all of it, though, is is weird and not particularly motivating to me. Trump won the Electoral College because of something like 70,000 votes in three states. Kind of came down to one of one vote in each of those states. You know, what, like two out of the four people I have voted for for a president in my lifetime actually won the popular vote, but didn't end up in office. Like what other competition does the second place person get picked as the winner? First election I voted, the, voted in the first presidential election was um, was in 2000 with Bush and Gore, and I think, I think that had an impact on on me and and I mean many people, feeling like okay here I can have my vote voice heard in this, in this uh, important election, and then it all came down to, uh, the hanging chads in Florida and, you know whether or not these holes were actually punished in certain pieces of paper. I mean, it just didn't leave me feeling very, very confident in, in the system. And I also, you know, around that time started to feel like what would make most sense was to move maybe to a government that had a structure that made more sense to me. Because, like, I'm, I, I feel very anti-gun. I think, I think there should be no guns. I think we we as humans cannot deal with guns. And if maybe I should move somewhere that has gun laws that are more in line with my views, then maybe I would have ended up being more interested in politics in that place. 
anyway, I, I did um, canvas for John Kerry in, I guess, 2004. And it's funny, this morning as I was brushing my teeth thinking about this, I could not remember his name. All I could remember was that he was married to the ketchup woman. <laughs> his, his wife was from the Heinz family. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I had just kind of decided, you know, Republicans are bad, Democrats are good, I'm on the good side, and I should proselytize and go door-to-door in Pennsylvania, which I did for uh, a couple weekends. But if someone had really wanted to engage me in conversation about John Kerry, I wouldn't have had any idea about his his policies, his views, his stances beyond, you know, he, you know, very sort of broad statements like he is pro-choice. And honestly, I think that's because like the policy stuff just like was always hard for me to follow. It seemed kind of opaque and hard. Uh, when I was working at the New York Observer uh, in the early 2000s, I used to go report on community board meetings, like local local politics, and I found it so boring to sit through, the, through these meetings. I mean, they often would point to really interesting stories, but just getting through these these meetings with all the rules and policies and setting rules and policies, I, I just like would tune out. And I think my brain did the same thing when it came to really understanding politics. And so I think I felt like, well, if I don't really understand this stuff and I don't feel like my voice actually matters that much, then why should I like devote my time to even trying to figure figure it all out when I'm going to be like the victim of the government whether or not uh, whether no matter who I vote for frankly I, I still feel this way in a lot of ways I feel very cynical but nothing has made me think more about government than dog training after I finished the Karen Pryor Academy 10 years ago, I became obsessed with learning about B.F. Skinner. Karen Pryor, who started the Karen Pryor Academy and is really considered like the, the founder of uh, clicker training, she popularized this method of using a clicker as a marker in training after having really perfected doing this kind of training with dolphins. With dolphins, you use a whistle, but it's the same idea of pinpointing a moment in time and like bridging the moment between when the animal does something correct and the animal is getting a reward. She figured out how to train dolphins in this way because she got her hands on instructions that were written out by graduate students who worked under B.F. Skinner, who was running a, a lab at Harvard in like the 1940s and, and 50s, I believe training animals to do all kinds of amazing things using this kind of marker. 
Skinner started by studying the work of Pavlov and went on to realize, look, animals aren't just learning by predicting something based on repeated associations. It's also possible <laughs> for animals to learn how to operate on their environments in order to affect change. Behaviors that are reinforced are going to be more likely to happen again. Behaviors that are punished are going to be less likely to happen again. When there's no reinforcement and no punishment, a behavior is under extinction. You can play around with different rates of reinforcement. Now, in his lab, he was basically teaching like rats and pigeons to do party tricks. You can find videos online of birds reading and playing ping pong, but Skinner's main interest was humans. Ethically, you can't put a human in a box to study them the way you can a pigeon. But from I, what I, I've studied on my own about, about B.F. Skinner, he was pretty clear about this, and he, he wrote a whole book called Beyond Freedom and Dignity that's basically about how we are controlled by each other, by the government, by accident of birth, by our families. Anyway, I came to Skinner through dog training, but reading Skinner's work has affected my life way outside of the dog realm, and it's made me have much stronger opinions and thoughts about things than I did before, quite frankly. You know, like, I feel pretty strongly that humans don't have free will in the traditional sense of the way that we think of free will. And I've had some pretty heated arguments with family members about this. I think we have lots of choices available to us, but I think any living animal has some choices available, so I don't think free will is something humans would have more than any other sentient being. And I also think freedom isn't controlled by environment, by your environment. Someone in a jail cell has less freedom to, to make choices than someone not in a jail cell. I think there are lots of things that we learn whether or not we have the desire or will to learn those things. And I think we are manipulated left and right <laughs> all the time by people who are not necessarily looking out for our best interest. You know, I, I mentioned the documentary The Social Dilemma in the last episode, look at how we've all been trained to behave with our phones and with social media. Or, you know, I, I talked about The Vow, too. The people interviewed in that film seem like pretty normal, average people, but they kind of were essentially brainwashed by someone who just, I think, had a really good understanding of how to manipulate behavior effectively. I know from working with dogs that it is possible to control behavior without using coercion, without using punishment, and uh, to do so while also giving an animal choice.
And I frankly think we should be doing more of this with people. Jails should be mental health and educational facilities. People should be incentivized to use birth control. We can use humane methods to control behavior for all of our good. This is a paragraph I wanted to read here um, from the, the end of chapter two of Beyond Freedom and Dignity. It's a chapter called Freedom. He ends a chapter saying, men's struggle for freedom is not due to a will to be free, but to certain behavioral processes characteristic of the human organism, the chief effect of which is the avoidance of or escape from so-called aversive features of the environment. Physical and biological technologies have been mainly concerned with natural aversive stimuli. The struggle for freedom is concerned with stimuli intentionally arranged by other people. The literature of freedom has identified the other people and has proposed ways of escaping from them or weakening or destroying their power. It has been successful in reducing the aversive stimuli used in intentional control, but it has made the mistake of defining freedom in terms of state of mind or feelings, and it has therefore not been able to deal effectively with techniques of control which do not breed escape or revolt, but nevertheless have aversive consequences. It had that social, <laughs> the social uh, dilemma comes to mind after reading that sentence. It has been forced to brand all control as wrong and to misrepresent many of the advantages to be gained from a social environment. It is unprepared for the next step, which is not to free men from control, but to analyze and change the kinds of control to which they are exposed. So over the last few years, as I've sort of tried to figure out where all of this puts me on a political spectrum, spectrum, I've had friends say, well, you know, a lot of your ideas actually sound rather libertarian. It sounds like you really believe in freedom. And I guess it, I believe in freedom, but I'm also against guns. Like, I think the government should be there to provide or restrict access to things in kind of a strict way, um, which then could seem like fascism. <laughs> and so does that mean I'm a libertarian with fascist leanings? I think freedom, we feel free when we are being put in a place where we can do things that we're then going to be positively reinforced for and you know when we're not controlled using punishment and coercion and I think a lot of that has to do with like an, you know arranging the antecedents and arranging the environment. Skinner himself actually wrote out a whole plan for a society that could be governed using environmental management and positive reinforcement. During the primaries, I was most excited about Bernie Sanders and, and Andrew Yang because I think we have enough resources in this country where it would be possible for everyone to get enough food and, uh, and health care. I believe once people have those basic needs met, they're going to be better citizens, period. Because I think there's enough wealth in this country to be spread around and that everyone deserves certain basics in life and that all animals perform better in all things when their basic needs are met. So then I started Googling like 
socio-libertarianism, which leads to stuff on the internet about anarchy, which also sounds sort of crazy. So I was sitting here the other day thinking, okay, so am I a socio-libertarian fascist anarchist? (laughs) And if I am, who does that mean I should vote for? So I googled who is the 2020 libertarian candidate, and I started reading a little bit about Joe Jorgensen. And I began following her on social media, and I appreciate the the point of view that freedom is everything and i get why that leads libertarians to be pro gun and pro drugs and pro things that can seem sort of crazy i understand now that it's kind of it's like they're pro choice about everything but that might not mean, I mean, like, you can be pro-choice and also think abortion is murder, but you think people should make that choice for themselves. I think that's, like, you could be libertarian and think that vaccines uh, are essential, but also feel like that's something that every person should choose for themselves. By and large, I, I, it, I, I, it, makes sense to me except for the gun thing i just think like we need government to not let people have guns and not let people have nuclear bombs in their homes and we need government to make rules about taking care of the environment which benefits everyone and uh you know we can go from there but my dream candidate would have would be would be saying hey let's create a government where we're going to incentivize behaviors we want and uh, and not get as many behaviors we don't want from people and give everything, give everybody everything they basically need so that they can be more free to help each other. And I'm just not sure that is the Libertarian Party. So I called up Joe Jorgensen's office and asked if they could help me figure out if I was a Libertarian. And I, uh, I spoke to her press secretary. She answered the phone herself. Her name is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said, you know what? Why don't you get on the phone with Joe and you can discuss this with her yourself? So what you're about to hear is my, my conversation with Joe Jorgensen where I, I'm really trying to figure out what party my crazy dog training government ideas uh, would land me in. You know, it's funny, when when Walden 2 first came out, B.F. Skinner's uh, 1942 novel about a utopia run by a behaviorist, people called it fascism without tears and uh, compared it to a giant dog training obedience school for humans. And both of those things are kind of true, but I also, like, really wish that I could live in Walden, too. What's funny is before I got off the phone with Elizabeth, Joe Jorgensen's press person, I asked her a little bit about how she ended up in the Libertarian Party, and she told me about how she uh, grew up with parents who were uh, politically active Goldwater Republicans and how she read... um, 
Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead, I forget which, when she was a teenager and was influenced by uh, Anne Rand's ideas. And then we were talking a little bit about dog training. Elizabeth said to me, you know, my mom used to be really scared of dogs, but then she started watching The Dog Whisperer and it really helped her get over her fears. And so she loves The Dog Whisperer. And I see The Dog Whisperer as an example of someone who is is govern, governing using nothing but punishment and coercion. So it felt interesting to, for me to think, you know, how uh, how apparent the 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 wrongs are when it comes to how dogs are treated and how parallel those wrongs are um, to the way we we are treated and trained. Um, but in that moment, I, I, I remembered how um, most people <laughs> are not thinking about dog training and government as deeply as, <laughs> as I perhaps am. But maybe they should. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time oh, yes. to talk to me. Um, I asked Elizabeth, who helped arrange this, to prep you a little bit about me and the show yeah. so that you're not too confused why a dog training podcast wanted to have you on as a no. guest. No. Well, I mean, to me, every psychologist, especially every behaviorist, should be a libertarian. And it's very frustrating that, you know, 90% of the uh, uh, psychologists out there are all socialists, which hmm. makes no sense at all. Wow. So do you consider consider yourself a behaviorist? Um, I call myself a closet behaviorist. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I mean, of course we have free will. Of course um, we've got cognitive dissonance and other things. However, behaviorism is a very strong, um, you know, prediction of behavior and, and it's a way to shape behavior. So yeah, I mean, it works. <laughs> well, let's, I, I, I would love to talk a little bit about your background, um, both as uh, someone who has taught psychology, but also as someone who has worked uh, a, a lot, it sounds like, in an in industrial organization. Is that right? Yes. Well, I've done some consulting. I've actually spent most of my time teaching at Clemson, which is mm -hmm. not what the plan started out to be. Uh, a couple years after I received my doctoral degree, my dissertation chair was interim uh, department chair. And he, it was funny, he sent me an email and the subject line said, think about this before you say no. And he said, I really need um, a lecture. Can you just fill in for a semester or a, an academic year? And I said, oh, okay, fine. And I was thinking, I'll do it to be nice to you. And then after about a month or two of that, I was like, wow, this is like the best job ever. <laughs> and I never left. So, so I really learned about behave, behavioral science through dog training. Mm -hmm. I mean, I took, you know, several psychology classes in college. And I think there was, you know, maybe one test question on one test at one time about <laughs> anything having to do with uh, behavior as any kind of science. Hmm. And it was only through dog training that I started to see, oh, you know, this isn't just about dogs. This is animal behavior and animals are behaving all the time. And we kind of forget that we are animals too. And I feel like in the last few years, I've 
I started to think about how we are being trained by by the world's the world that we live in, um, for better or worse. And uh, as I started sort of expressing my ideas to to friends, I started hearing you know a lot of your ideas about this are actually kind of libertarian ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought libertarians. You know, I said to my husband, um, I'm going to interview uh, the libertarian. Uh, candidate for president, and he said, "Oh, isn't she some sort of gun-toting weirdo?" <laughs> I said, um, "I, I, you know, I think she's pro-gun, but I also think that has to do with like a a larger feeling about the way that we should or shouldn't be controlled, and not that she's like guns are the best thing ever, but also isn't that kind of the stereotype that we that we have in our culture of like what libertarians are or." or socio-libertarians or anarchists or any of these things come along with like caricatures that are uncomfortable. Well, I hope that's changing. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running is because I'm a mom. I now have a grandchild. I, you know, live in a normal house. I drive a normal car. I have pretty much a normal job. And I, you know, if you met me on the street, you might think from my haircut I'm a Republican, but my clothes, you might think I'm a Democrat, but I just look like every other person. And I know that it, it, when when the Libertarian Party started out, unfortunately, there weren't many think tanks out there or other ways for people to learn about libertarianism. And so when the party started, they weren't even sure that they wanted to run candidates. But now we've got people, we, you know, we've got plenty of think tanks out there and ways that you can get information. So we don't have to be so philosophical anymore. We don't have to be so educational. So now we can actually run candidates who are talking about issues that are important to people instead of talking the, the philosophy that we started off the um, party with. Do you think that the, the founding fathers would have thought of themselves as libertarian? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, when I think about the ideals of libertarianism, I think maybe we need to do what they did and go somewhere else. Because <laughs> um, well, it seems like we've it seems like we've strayed pretty far from from that ideal, which was their ideal. Right? Oh, very far. Yes, unfortunately. How do you, how do you define? I mean, at at the heart of libertarian is liberty, which has to do with freedom, which what makes it compelling to me is I see how how far we can get when we give uh, the animals we're training as humans with non-human animals, how far we can get when we give them choice and we arrange the environment to encourage certain choices and we arrange the we arrange the consequences that are going to be most likely and we arrange the associations and I see that we can do all of that without punishment and and coercion but um I'm I'm curious how you define freedom. Oh, how I define freedom is being able to make your own choices and I what I tell people the libertarian party is all is about, is all about what I tell them is that I believe that they know better than any politician or special interest in Washington how to spend their money and how to run their lives and that we don't need people in Washington running our lives day to day and you know you talked about choices so um I I I teach a happiness class at Clemson 
I've taught it for 10 years now. Oh, well, yeah, a little over 10 years. And we know that when people have autonomy, when people make their own choices, when people aren't told what to do every step of the way, they tend to be happier. And that's why a lot of people are happier in jobs, even when they're making less money, if they can set their own hours or if they can work from home or if they can go pick up their kids or whatever. And what we have right now in Washington is people who basically want a one size fits all that is is uh, telling us every step of the way what to do. You know, we've got a Department of Education that instead of telling localities, OK, uh, education should be among teachers, parents, and students, and you should make be able to make your own choices. Instead, they give us a one-size-fits-all. We don't care where you live. And I would suggest that the needs of people in rural Appalachia, much different than downtown New York City, much different than, you know, Arizona. I, I, I think it comes down to, you know, reinforcement. Again, you know, I, I don't think, I, I did not know what operant conditioning was until I became a dog trainer. Um, and but now I see it's about, you know, we can we can encourage behaviors by giving something or by taking something away. And when we're living in the, you know, so-called quadrant of like positive reinforcement, like encouraging behaviors we like by, you know, giving good stuff, basically, um, like that feels like freedom. Yeah. Well, right? well, like freedom's not like a it's not like a necklace that you wear freedom. Right, right. It just has to do with yeah. whether you whether you're choosing because you want to do something or you're choosing because you're trying to avoid something. Yeah. Well, and and now here's the thing. I do not believe that we have a that we should have a government that sits there and thinks, "Okay, what how, how can we change people's behavior? How can we get them to do what we want them to do?" What what little um, rewards can we put out there? You know, what pieces of cheese are you know can we put out there for people to uh, go after? Instead, I think that government needs to just get out of the way and let people make their own decisions. And I would suggest that what government is doing in where where it shouldn't be doing is first of all punishing good behavior. Uh, if you make money, if you have a successful business, you get punished because they take away your taxes. Uh, you know, they, they take taxes away from you. So I look at it as, you know, we have people say, well, but what about wealth inequality? Uh, shouldn't they give their money to the government? Well, research shows that money left in the hands of individuals and private businesses create twice as many jobs as that same money in the government. And really, who do you want creating jobs? companies around your town or Donald Trump or Joe Biden. So but don't we already live in a don't we already live in a society that is manipulating our behavior by saying, you know, you have to pay money to bomb other countries or else, you know, you have to send your kids to school or else, you what? have to vaccinate your kids or else. Like so it is it's like manipulations already happening. It's to saying like like okay, sure, let's just let everybody go make their own choices to me seems like well isn't that just like disregarding the fact that like people are being manipulated by like the commercials that they see and the fact that their phone is buzzing all them at them all the time and what they see on Facebook, like manipulation is like, it's not like I'm going to close my eyes and live in a vacuum, right? right? Like, yeah, like we, people are going to be manipulated. So, so what's the name of the political party where it's like, we pay money into a government that's job is to like, you know, like, encourage good behaviors like what what party do i belong to 
Well, to answer your other question, is, is it possible for companies to manipulate us uh, by advertising? Of course. However, we have the choice. So, for instance, um, and, and well, let me back up. I remember in class once, my one of my professors, uh, we were talking about bureaucracy in corporations, and this was an IO psychology class. And he said, well, you know, government isn't the only uh, place that has bureaucracy. Private companies have it too. And I said, yes, but if UPS has too much bureaucracy, then we can simply go to FedEx where they might have better prices. Right. Or if FedEx has too much bureaucracy, then we can go to UPS. What I'm against is government saying, okay, you have to deal with us. And you know we're the ones who are going to provide your uh, retirement. You have no other choice. They're getting that way with healthcare. They've they've been that way with education for quite a while. How about letting us make our own choices? Now, can we make mistakes? Of course, but would it be better for us to make our own mistakes or to have government tell us what to do and have it be a big mistake? Like for instance, with the coronavirus, uh, Trump got up there and said, if you don't show symptoms, you don't need a test, even though they knew that over half the people with the virus had no symptoms at all. That's when you need to get tested. And then they have an FDA and a CDC that is supposed to protect us, that's supposed to protect our health. And yet those two companies blocked us from uh, testing. There were dozens of testing kits out there that we could have used, and they blocked all of them except for two. So we all uh, stay home under house arrest because nobody's tested and we lose tens of millions of jobs. Meanwhile, South Korea, who had their first case tested within like a week of our first case, they had massive testing. They knew who had to stay home and who could go out and work. And they, they got ahead of the curve faster than we did. And they did it without shutting down the economy. So no, I don't want government making bad decisions, I would rather people make their own decisions. So what is the name of the political party that that I would like where the government is in charge of like encouraging the behaviors that we want? Like the, gov the government is out there incentivizing people to vaccinate their kids rather than saying, if you don't do it, you're an idiot or else the government that's out there. I mean, I mean, of course, like there is also the fact that there is a comment like, people drive on the right side of the street, not because like they're going to get fined if they don't. It's just like, there's a general understanding that like we all do this thing that works. Oh, of course. Like, couldn't that apply of to, course. to vaccines? Like you're not, not vaccinating your kids. You are vaccinating your kids. You're not like, I'm guessing you're not like have like, un, you know, locked guns all over your <laughs> yeah. home when your grandkids are like, I'm just guessing yeah. things about you that, yeah. you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but like, yeah. No, I um no, I did vaccinate my children and my daughter has vaccinated uh my grandson, but if you want central control, if you want people who are in a capital of the country directing everybody's actions, then I would call that the communist party and we've seen that that doesn't work because to have a small group of people making decisions for everybody in the country just doesn't work. And the, the example I was given in fifth grade was, you know, here's why the Soviet Union failed, uh, because they had to decide, a group of people had to decide, okay, who gets the steel? Is it the people, you know, is it the car companies or the refrigerator companies? And it's hard to do central planning. Whereas in the United States, if there are more people who want cars and there's a waiting list, 
then the car manufacturers are more likely to pay more money and they'll get the steel. However, if the refrigerator manufacturers have a waiting list, then they'll pay more money. So if it's not centrally planned, then resources go where it needs to be. But actually, what I, here's an even better example of communism not working. Uh, you know, of course, in Russia, they said, the Soviet Union, they said, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, right? And they took over all the farmlands. Well, they, they, the people were starving. And the government said, okay, well, we have to do something. And so they finally grudgingly said, okay, fine, you can own your own little garden out in the back of your yard. You know, we're just not going to discuss it too much. Let's just kind of keep it quiet. Well, those little farms, the family farms, made up 3% of all the farmland in Russia, and yet it produced 30% of the food because people were working for themselves. They were making their own choices. They got to see the benefits. Right, but isn't there some happy medium where you know people could have the freedom to help each other where it's not mandated by the government? Uh, and I would say that that was a libertarian way in that it's not mandated and we choose to help each other and and right. united states the united states has been one of the most giving countries in the entire world in the entire history and you just look through you know there, there, it's really a myth about the robber barons i mean they were uh giving money we didn't have social security back then we didn't have you know aid to families with dependent children or anything like that tanf and so uh when there was an earthquake you know the san francisco earthquake there were companies rushing into helping people so yeah well not not that you need to take political marketing mm -hmm. advice from a dog yeah. trainer but it seems to me like like libertarians haven't been branded as like we want to help other oh. people it seems to me it's more like that Ayn Rand, Ayn Randian version of, you know, like each man for himself and, and screw the rest well, of you. Well, that's, how, unfortunately, that's how it's come across in the past. And when I ran for office, if you will um, look at some of the debates that we had, I opened up some of them by saying, look, I was so excited when I heard about freedom. I just wanted to spread it to everybody. And I said, isn't this great? And the response I got was, oh, you don't care about the poor. You know, you're just selfish. And I didn't understand. And it's because we were putting it in terms of like how, how we can have freedom and, you know, we own our bodies and all that. But that's, but it, that's too, again, philosophical. And that's what I said before about how, unfortunately, the party started off as an educational uh, system because there were no education systems out there who were teaching it. So, so now we can be a political party. And I've been going out there explaining healthcare that, uh, you know, how would you like to have healthcare that's affordable. We have systems in which that works. And by the way, if you're looking at it from a psychological standpoint, um, you know, when you go to the doctor or when you buy medicines, if you're not the one who's paying the price, if you've got your little copay card and you pay $20, whether the drugs cost $40 or 400, you're not going to care. 
Right. You're not going to care. Exactly. And so the state of Indiana for their employees instituted a program in which the people in, in which it did matter, in which if they found a cheaper price, they got to keep the savings. And generic drug use went from something like 10% to 90%. And the best part is, is they were happy to do it because they got to keep the savings. And that's the way it should be. You, you um, said earlier that you think anyone who would consider themselves a behaviorist, and I'm curious why you called yourself a closet no. behaviorist, well, but anyone who considers themselves a behaviorist would you know, you don't understand why they wouldn't be libertarian. I'm curious what you meant by that. And I'm also curious if you think, I mean, at at least let me tell you my experience as a dog trainer is like, wow, it's amazing that I learned all about all of this from dog training, which I thought was going to be like, you know, like how to get my dog to like, just not pee on the carpet and leave it at that. Like, but also like it's astounding to me how little people understand like the laws of learning and awkward conditioning and classical conditioning things that I could explain in like, 20 minutes to someone um, and how impactful that can be. So the fact that like there's a category of people that you would even call behaviors and their vote would matter. I'm curious to hear more about that. Sorry. I hope I asked a question there. <laughs> I, I call myself a closet behaviorist because you know no psychologist would be a behaviorist because as I said, we know about cognitive dissonance. We understand that the, the entire world isn't run on behaviorism, that we do have internal thoughts that, that control us and that we do have free will. But um, I, it's just kind of a term that I, I, I believe that behaviorism just plays a large role in uh, many of the things that we do, that yes, we do things that we get rewarded for and we stop doing things we get punished for, that that's pretty much how we work. However, I, I would never say that I, um, you know, I'm a Skinnerian and I believe there's no free will. I, I do believe there's free will. Do you, do you, can I just ask you quickly if you have oh, a dog yes. and if you think about libertarianism in your um, training? I have a Basset hound named Gertrude and she's awesome. And I, ha- well, first of all, as you probably know, Basset hounds are a little more difficult to train than other dogs. <laughs> they're bred to follow scents and they're very stubborn. So I um, actually, uh, I have trained her so that she doesn't beg when we eat. And I trained her just using behaviorism, you know, variable racial reinforcement. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you do oh, yes. about that. Yes. <laughs> so, and I teach that in my intro class. And one thing that I teach them is when you raise kids, be sure that you, um, you know, be sure that when you say no, that no means no. Otherwise, the kid's going to come back. Oh, come on, mom. No. Oh, please, mom. No. Come on. And I say, all you're doing is uh, training them with a variable racial reinforcement in which your kid's the gambler. Now you're the slot machine. And that's going to be a behavior that's very hard to break. <laughs> so, okay. Well, my meeting is starting. So I'm, I'm glad I got to stay over. Okay. Thank you very much for all your time. I appreciate it. And good luck. Ha- have a great day. That is Roy Sakuma playing America the Beautiful. So what do you think? Am I 
Am I a libertarian? Am I crazy? Is she crazy? <laughs> Are you going to vote for her? Am I wasting my vote? Let me know. I'm curious. Email me, annie at schoolforthedogs.com. We're also on the brink of starting an online community for School for the Dogs clients and fans. So if you're interested in joining that, email me and I will make sure we let you know first when that is up and running. Special thanks to everyone who reached out to me after I talked about uh, my dog's diagnosis last week. I actually got some really good news yesterday. Um, I went to Blue Pearl in New York City along with my friend Dr. Andrea too, who was just such an angel for coming with me, uh, just basically to keep me company and give me advice. Anyway, they did a needle biopsy of his mass, uh, his liver mass, and it actually came back looking like it's not cancer, uh, and it looks like uh, his lungs are also cancer-free. So amazingly good news there there's there's still some issues with his heart and other stuff but it doesn't look like his demise is quite as imminent which which I'm certainly thrilled about I really I mourned hard this last week had had lots of feelings I I had moments where I was like oh hold on he's not dead yet like I I felt like such a deep sadness and then would feel like this relief. Um, you know, I, there's there's a lot of emotions I'm having just, I think, about having an old, an old dog. Anyway, more to come on that, that front at a later point. I vow to talk more about Amos on this podcast because he is just such an awesome dog and really has has had a huge impact (laughs) on my life and apparently also on my politics. You can learn more about Joe Jorgensen at joe20.com. That's j-o-2-0.com. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com. 